So even if it doesn't feel like it, your brain is working all the time. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, it never shuts off. There are over 100 billion neurons that are processing 500 trillion synapses at over 300 miles per hour, resulting in over 70,000 thoughts in a single day. Now, some of those thoughts are operating in the background. You'd never be conscious of them. They're telling you you're hungry or they're telling you you're cold and we changed the air conditioning a little so you wouldn't be so cold and your brain wouldn't be obsessed with that for the next 30 minutes. But it's doing things like reminding your body to breathe and, and, and transferring pain sensors and some of those thoughts you never recognize, but other thoughts... They're not quite as helpful. They're not quite as life-giving as those. As a matter of fact, studies show that over 80% of the thoughts that go through our mind are negative. And not only are 80% of the thoughts that we have negative, listen, 95% of the thoughts that we have are repetitive. We keep thinking the same things over and over again. And so here's the conclusion that we can make from these scientific studies that have resulted in these numbers that almost all of our thoughts, eight out of 10 thoughts are negative and we keep having the same negative thoughts over and over and over again. Well, you don't have to be a mental health expert and you don't have to be a marriage counselor and you don't have to be a financial advisor and you don't have to be a, a child raising expert. You don't have to be a, um, a, a cognitive expert to know the devastating impact on our lives that constantly thinking negative thoughts can have on all the things we care about. I mean, we are what we think. You will believe what you think and you will act on what you believe and in our marriages and in our raising our kids and in our relationships and friendships and in our work environment and in our finances, we are the product of the thoughts that go through our mind. And so you can imagine how negatively impacted every one of those areas is. All the relationships that you care about, all the people that you care about, the things that you have worked hard for, how negatively impacted those things are by thinking those thoughts over and over and over again. Now, there's good news and there's bad news. Here's the bad news. You can't undo what's been done. You can't regain lost ground. You at least can't go back in time and unthink those things or unfeel those feelings, right? But here's the good news. You can take back ground that's been lost by regaining in an accelerated way because you change the way you think. You refuse to react emotionally the way you have in the past. You are in control of how you think. And changing how you think will change how you feel. Feelings are actually thoughts. They're just involuntary thoughts. It's how your mind believes about something. 
And then there are chemicals released that give you either a euphoric feeling of excitement and joy and happiness or something other than that. Cortisol is released and you feel stress and anxiety. There's a lot of different things your body does to itself based simply on the thoughts that go through our minds. And so you and I have the ability to bring healing where there has been injury and bring rest where there has been panic and, 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 and chaos in our life because of the repetitive negative thoughts that go through our mind. And that's what we're talking about in this series is really undoing the damage that happens when we live these hurried, panicked, chaotic lives. And using rest is the gift. And so today we're going to talk for just a few minutes about how to put in stop gaps and safety buttons and moments of pause to make sure that our mind does not run away with these negative thoughts. So take out your notes if you don't already have them out. You can open your app. Or if you're really, really good, you can just commit this to memory, as I'm sure you all do every day. To take back the mental ground that I have lost, I need to start, number one, destroying the things that will destroy my peace. Destroying the things that will destroy my peace. So we are mental hoarders. Have you ever, has anyone ever known like an actual hoarder or someone who borders on being a, a hoarder? It's very disturbing and disruptive for me. Lisa can tell you because of my, um, I would say I tend to lean to the more extreme side of uh, the spectrum of ADHD. Uh, disorder is very, very disruptive to me. Uh, I can't have disorder in one room even if I'm working in another. Um, uh, I'll tell you a little bit later about a project I was doing, but um, uh, I was doing a project at my house with someone here from the church, and uh, we were digging holes, and as the dirt would come out, I would start scooping up the dirt, putting it in buckets, and then sweeping up the dirt. And it was driving this person crazy that I was cleaning the very dirty job that we were doing, but in my mind, it was very, very hard to leave it all there on the ground. I know, weird to leave dirt on the ground in a yard, but that was uh, very tough for me. Mentally, every one of us is a hoarder. No matter how you are in life with the things that are in your life, you are hoarding millions of thoughts, and that includes emotions that you have stored somewhere in your brain since you were a very, very, very young child. As a matter of fact, some of you can remember if you've ever sat down and said, what was your earliest childhood memory? Some of you can remember something. You want to hear mine? I remember this was in the back of the day, back in the day when cloth diapers were far more regularly used than disposables were. And I remember walking around the house. I had no shirt on and I just had a cloth diaper on and my, I had peed in my diaper and no one was changing me. And I remember being bothered by that. Like, it's not, I'm sure it wasn't neglectful, like I've gone hours. It's just, I remember peeing, thinking, this is the time somebody comes, changes out my, my pee thing here, the thing I get to pee in all day long. And I, that's my earliest childhood memory. I can look at, I can look at, I, w I didn't say that to impress any of you. I was just giving you an example of how that, you're like, wow, that's trauma. Have you seen counselor for that? Um, 
We can see a, a toy from our childhood and it evokes a feeling in us that reconnects us with a happy time in our life. We can hear a song that we heard when we were dating and we first fell in love and we thought of that as our, our song between us and our girlfriend or our boyfriend. We can connect with even a smell and it brings back thoughts and floods of emotion. Our mind stores millions of these thoughts. Those thoughts, those feelings have a potential to poison the way we relate to God, the way we relate to each other, the way we relate in our marriage to circumstances, to stress, to our finances, to politics, to cultural issues. All of those things accumulate inside of us and they produce a reaction in us. What feels maybe like voluntary, but truthfully isn't. The idea that you and I um, don't have biases that cloud the way we see things is simply untrue, no matter how in control of our emotions and thoughts that we are, or we think we are. So I'm going to tell you about a study that was conducted back in the mid-80s. These researchers had uh, brought a bunch of test subjects together, research subjects together, and they told them the story of how a warehouse fire began. And in that, they detailed that the fire began near a closet in which paint and pressurized gas was stored, inferring that that was the cause of the fire. Later, though, the researchers came back just minutes later and said, we need to make a correction. We gave you inaccurate information. The closet was actually empty when the fire started. When the test subjects were interviewed and surveyed and questioned about the origin of the fire, they all consistently still blamed the paint, the fumes, and negligence for storing flammable things near a source of fire. All that to say, even when confronted with the truth, we'll choose to still believe something that our mind has decided is true even when it's not. And that means that you and I, our minds don't self-correct. We'll believe something that's untrue, and even when confronted with the truth, we will continue to believe things that aren't true. So you can see how walking around with thousands upon thousands of thoughts that are both negative and likely untrue, how that can contaminate our ability to live a mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, maritally, parentally, and financially healthy life. That's why Paul tells the people in the city of Corinth who were struggling to believe him because he wasn't persuasive. You see, I believe, I've had this conversation a lot lately, and why politics are so much different than they were when I was a kid or even as a teenager, even 25 years ago. And the answer, I think, is pretty evident. It's pretty simple. It's that information gets communicated considerably differently today. It's a lot smaller. It's a lot more concise. It's a lot more inaccurate, but it's a lot flashier and entertaining. And therefore, we choose to absorb, to eat, to sit down at the table 
of social media and mass media in these bite-sized moments and we take in information. And even when confronted with the nuances and the complexity and the other side of the story, we still choose to believe because our minds are efficient. They don't care about truth. But you and I as followers of Christ have to care about truth. Listen to 2 Corinthians 10, 15. It says, we're demolishing arguments. I love that word. We're demolishing arguments and ideas and every high and mighty philosophy that pits itself against the knowledge of the one true God. Knowing God more changes this. We are taking prisoners of every thought, or we're taking prisoners of every thought, every emotion, and subduing them to the obedience to the anointed one. So here's two things that Paul says. I absolutely love this because Paul says that there are lots and lots of ideas, thoughts, emotions that come through you that aren't only inaccurate, they're actually opposed to the truth of God. And he says, those don't get shown any mercy at all. Those just get killed. Those just get destroyed. Those just get taken out. You show those absolutely no mercy. You don't entertain those at all. And then he says, every single thought and emotion has to come to you and bow its knee to the knowledge and truth of Christ. Every thought and emotion must subdue itself must subordinate itself to the truth of Christ. And so I want you to do something this week. I want you to ask this question of yourself. When you're feeling something, when you're thinking something about politics or about your spouse or about your kids or about your work situation or about your own mental health or about an insecurity or something you're going through, I want you to ask, is this true? I mean, is this really true? The better question is to ask this, what does Christ say about this? Then I will know the truth. And then the final question you ask is, am I making this bow its knee to the truth of Christ? Because I can promise a lot of the things that you feel and think about your spouse aren't true. We do a study around here in small groups sometimes called love and respect. And and, uh, one of the premises of it is that You have to assume the best about your spouse, but naturally we tend to assume the worst. When Lisa says something that I perceive to be hurtful or disrespectful or, or, or not regarding my feelings, I presume naturally and instantly that she's intending to hurt my feelings. So I in turn want to react in a way that hopefully makes her feel as disrespected as me. But that's not Lisa, and that's not true of her. I would have to believe she's just mean and diabolical and a bad person to think that she's going out of her way to hurt my feelings, and that's not her. So instead, I have to combat the untrue negative feeling that I have and presume she's a good person with good intentions who did a thing that felt to me disrespectful or hurtful. The things you feel about your kids or about the future or about the unknown or about finances, most of those things are completely untrue. And I promise they're probably steeped in negativity. Next thing is this, to take back the mental ground I've lost, I need to start rebuilding my emotional reactions and mental responses. Take back 
or rebuild my emotional reactions and mental responses. So I can tell you that killing things, you know, Paul said that we demolish, we obliterate, we kill off every thought that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And I can tell you from experience that killing things makes a mess. All right, I'm not gonna confess to a crime here now, but it's sort of like that. So we uh, used to own a home in, in Sacramento, kind of the Foothill Farms area, and uh, we had these two giant, like, heritage trees. One was a fruitless magnolia, just huge, with huge big leaves on it, and I'm not sure of the other one, maybe, a, maybe an oak, but it was giant as well. And um, our, it was shaded, and we had all kinds of birds and squirrels, and it was a real wildlife sanctuary back there. And uh, we had a new fence put in, and a, a guy from the church came over who was a landscaper and landscaped the backyard. And the finishing touch for us is we wanted to attract more birds and things, so we put a big bird feeder there. And we had all these beautiful birds, different kinds, coming and feeding off it. And then we noticed they weren't coming anymore. And, and it's not like they had flown south for the winter. This was the time when they should be there. And it happened one day where I saw this big, fat, gray squirrel who was running off all the birds and running off all the other squirrels. And he was getting fatter and fatter by the day by just simply being the only one who got to feed off that. So I would get the hose ready and I would try to squirt the hose at him to scare him off and maybe let him know everybody's welcome at the Young's Bird Feeder, right? And uh, as soon as I would start unreeling the hose, he would run away and, and get away before. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to have to take it up a notch because this is a, a mean squirrel and he's, uh, he's hoarding all the food and everyone else is being deprived of it. And so I had a pellet gun and I thought, I'm just going to shoot near him and I'm going to send a couple warning shots over his head and say, this is like, you're like a pirate and we're like the Navy shooting pirate ships, right? The Somali pirate trying to come on. And, and so I'm going to send some warning shots and uh, I, you know, I'm no marksman. So I, I was shooting and, and the squirrel would not move. And uh, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to shoot a little closer because clearly I'm way off and he's just not getting the hint. And so I moved a little closer and nothing. And I'm thinking, holy cow, these sights are way, way off or the barrel's bent or, or the BB's not loading. It's just something's not happening the way it's supposed to. So, I mean, three or four times and this squirrel is motionless. And I'm thinking, did Lisa put one of those little concrete squirrels out there? And, and this thing's just sitting there and wagging its tail and... So I thought, I'm going to get, I'm going to breeze one right by him. It, it didn't go as planned. Um, I, I, I hit him. I didn't mean to hit him, but I hit him. And I could tell I hit him because he started flipping around and running around. And then I felt terrible. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is horrible. I need to put this thing out of its misery. I don't want him dying this long, painful death. So he's kind of running around and I'm chasing him around the backyard with the pellet gun. And, and I, I get as close as I can so I don't miss him. And I'm trying to shoot into his vitals and, and it just keeps getting worse. I keep shooting him and he keeps living and blood is squirting everywhere. It's on the new fence. It's on the lawn. It's on my shoes. It's on the barrel of the gun. It is like a 
Quentin Tarantino movie. There's just blood and this squirrel will not die. And I'm just pumping the gun and I'm exhausted and chasing this thing. And it's just mayhem. If the cops had showed up, it would have looked like I killed everyone in the neighborhood in my backyard. I can't believe that much blood fit in a squirrel. Finally, Caleb, who was maybe eight or nine at the time, comes out, strangely not that traumatized <laughs> by this bloody pulp of a squirrel laying in our backyard. We put it in a trash bag, we hosed down the yard, and we swore to never speak of it again until this moment when I just told you the story. And you're thinking, what could possibly be the redeeming value of that story? Other than getting it off my chest, not a lot, except to say this, that killing things makes a mess and it takes a lot of work. And to make things go away in your life that have learned how to be the bully of your mind and your emotions, that run off the good thoughts and run off the truth and run off the positive feelings, the bully that hoards the food of your mind and your emotions will not go easily. You can't send warning shots. You can't be kind to it. You have to go full Quentin Tarantino. You have to make a bloody mess. Listen to Romans 12, one through two. Brothers and sisters, in light of all of I've shared with you about God's mercies, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Other translations say a sacrifice you make while you're still alive because sacrifices are known for killing things. Things die as a result of sacrifice. Paul is saying here, make a sacrifice of things inside of you that are living. You'll continue to live, but these things will die. I urge you to offer your bodies as living and holy sacrifice to God, a sacred offering that brings him pleasure this is your reasonable, essential worship. I want you to, you can leave it there, but I want you to think about that for a second, that giving God things that you're holding on to that are poisonous, toxic, and stealing life from you, God loves to see you move beyond those kind of things. Don't allow this world to mold you into its own image, mentally, emotionally, physically, maritally, financially. Instead, be transformed from the inside out by renewing your mind as a result. You'll be able to discern what, God's, uh, what God wills and whatever God finds good, pleasing, and complete. I want you to think about that because it says that you and I need to change the way we think in order to know truth. That means that you've got to kill off the things in your life that are keeping you and preventing you from knowing the truth of God. You see, God's got a plan for your marriage. God's got a plan for your kids. God's got a plan for you. God wants good things for your health. God wants good things for your thoughts, for your emotions, for your finances. But you and I can't know those when all you and I know is what the fat squirrel tells us we should know. Amen. All right. Colossians 3.2 says this. This is how we do that. Set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things above or things above the heavenly things, not on the things 
that are on the earth, which have only temporal value. Look at that. Leave it just there for a second. Set your minds and keep focused habitually. That means this is not a one day occurrence. This is not a one time occurrence. We are actually getting up every day and we're setting our mind. We're fixing our mind and we're continuing to focus on. I watched a thing, uh, there used to be a show called Brain Games. Anybody remember Brain Games? And it was really kind of a trippy show. And they took a screen like this and they put like four footballs in the corner and that's it. And they said, just pick one of those and focus on that. And you'll notice within about 30 seconds, you will not be able to see the other three footballs. And sure enough, as I stared at it, that one was the only one that remained. It just filled the rest in with the black background that, uh, that, uh, that was on the screen. And they said, we know you think we've tricked you somehow and, and that, uh, that you, we just knew which one you were going to pick. So pick any other one and do it again. And I, they did it like two or three times. And they said, if you just still don't believe us, pause and pick any football you want. We won't be in control of your TV at that point. And sure enough, as you focused on one, the other ones disappeared. And this is how our brains work. In which if you choose what to focus on, your mind will have to begin to ignore all the other things. Jesus said this in Matthew 6.10. He made it part of our essential prayer to God. Bring about your kingdom. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He says, bring about your kingdom. Manifest your will here on earth as it is manifest in heaven. You begin to make your spiritual journey, your emotional journey, your mental journey. One in which you say, I want your thoughts in my mind, God. I want your will for my family. I want the good things that you have for me. Prosperity and wholeness and health. I want that in my life. Not all this thing that fear and anxiety and chaos and media and other negative voices bring me. Jesus put it into practice in Luke 22, 24. When he was getting ready to be crucified, tortured and then crucified, he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup of suffering away from me but do what you want, not what I want. Jesus was confronting the most negative feeling he'd ever had, the fear of his own death, the fear of going into the unknown, to being brutalized, to being falsely accused, to being betrayed by his friends and his family and being left alone on a cross to die. And Jesus overcame that by simply saying, I don't want my feelings to navigate this moment. I want your truth and your will for me to do that, God. Third and finally is this, to take back the mental ground that I've lost. I need to start sowing the seeds that will keep my heart and mind guarded and growing. So I was telling you a little bit earlier about the project that we were doing. I talked about it last week. This house, we just got a new fence. And in doing so, I thought, you know what? We need to tune up the landscape, pull out the bark, put some rock in. And there were two areas of our yard along the side of the house and up kind of near the driveway that didn't have any landscaping, no plants, I should say. And um, I thought, we're going to do that. Now, there's a lot of things that I kind of know how to do. I've taught myself. My kids ask, how do you know how to do all this? And I said, when you're poor, you just learn how to do things, right? And so when you don't have money, you can't hire it out. And uh, this, this was a similar situation where I wanted to take on some work that I thought I can do that, that's going to save us money in this renovation. But I don't have any confidence in planting shrubs, trees, bushes, anything like that. I, I'll do plumbing and I'll do electrical and I'll do drywall work, but I, I 
for some weird reason, I know nothing about how to get a plant into the ground and keep it alive. And uh, Lisa told me that Rob and Rachel Ross here in our church, they have a botanical garden pretty much in their backyard. And I thought, I'm going to call Rob and have him come help. So, you know, Rob gave me his qualifications. He says, hey, I'm going to tell you. Here's my philosophy. Dig a hole, put it in the ground. If it makes it, it makes it. If it doesn't, it doesn't. <laughs> and I, I said, okay, I'm invested in them making it. Like, I, I want them to make it. So let's plant with that goal in mind. I want them to make it. And I rented an auger, because if you know, Lincoln has a lot of hard pan. And uh, I was kind of manhandling this auger and Rob would help me and we would dig these holes and then Rob would get to work on planting and I would get to work on cleaning up. And, uh, and uh, we did, I don't know, it's like probably 15 plants all around. And we started about 10.30 and uh, we didn't end until late that afternoon and we were, we were exhausted. And I mean, we worked hard really, really hard. And I have to tell you that after all of that work, I, every night I go out there and I, I look at them and I make sure they're watered. And if I see even the slightest hint that leaves are browning, I, I get more water on them. I've run the sprinkler lines to them. I'm, I'm invested and I put the, the fertilizer on them and I, I want them to live because it cost me time and it cost me money and I don't want to do it again, <laughs> right? I don't want to do all of that over again, not when we worked that hard for it. But I want you to listen, before we ever put a shovel in the ground, we had carefully chosen what we wanted living in our yard. I didn't just go to Green Acres and randomly fill up our cart with a bunch of things. We purposely, specifically chose the plants and shrubs and trees that we did. Because those are going to be there a long time. And when you invest that much money and invest that much time and you put that kind of effort in and you are nurturing and watering, you want those things to survive. But before I ever did the work with Rob to get those in the ground, I made sure I knew what was coming in. And the reality is much of what's come into our lives hasn't been because we've chosen it to, it's because we've chosen not to be selective about what gets to come in. We've been bad gatekeepers of the thoughts that come into our minds. We've been bad gatekeepers at allowing them to just set up camp when they have made it in. Can I tell you another thing that I was careful to do is put up weed barrier fabric everywhere. And when I could, I would lap it over itself and drive those pins into the ground to hold it down and then put that rock on top of it because I don't want unwelcome living things to come in and ruin the landscape, but also choke out and take away the nutrients and the life and the water from the things that have been invited there. Listen to what it says in Romans 8, 5 through 6. If you live your life animated by the flesh, namely your fallen corrupt nature, your thoughts, your emotions, your behavior that indulge your flesh, then your mind is focused on the matters of the flesh. But 
If you live your life animated by the Holy Spirit, namely God's indwelling presence, then your focus is on the work of the Holy Spirit. A mind focused on the flesh is doomed to death, but a mind focused on the Spirit will find full and complete peace. And isn't that what we're really hoping for? Peace is one of those words that's probably lost its true value and meaning. But if you think about what you want for your marriage, it's peace. Peace is the settled knowledge. It's the contentment, it's the joy that things are as they should be. Or things are moving to the direction and moving towards the finish as it should be. Because we're all in a race, none of us have reached the finish line but we're moving in the right directions. Things are going according to plan. Listen to what it says in Psalm 119, 15. David says, I want to reflect on your guiding principles and study your ways. David says, I want to make my mind a place in which your ways grow, in which your principles are the ones that lead me, not my raw emotions, not my negative thinking. I'm going to train my brain to think the right way. And then finally is this, Philippians 8, 4 through 9, or 4, 8 through 9 says this. Summing it all up, this is probably one of my favorite passages in scripture. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say to you, do best, you'll do best by filling your minds Love that, filling your minds and meditating on things. And by the way, so so that we don't get nervous, meditation is more than what you see in Eastern religion where it's weird and it's cultic and it's unhealthy. Meditation is simply focusing your mind in a committed and, and strategic fashion so that you don't allow other things to interfere with this moment in which you've cleared your mind of everything else And you've said, this is what I'm going to think on. This is what I choose to think on. I'd say you do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true. First thing in the list, things that are true, things that are noble, things that are reputable, things that are authentic, things that are compelling, things that are gracious. Can I pause right there and say, if you are not seeing that or hearing that, in the people that you talk to, in the news that you listen to, in the social media that you engage with, that is where your thoughts are coming from. So when you open the floodgate to all of that, don't be surprised when that's what your mind is meditating on. The best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you've heard and saw and realized. Do that and God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent harmonies. You wanna know how to change the results of how you live your life, of how your marriage is going, of how your finances is going? Change the way you think. Change what you focus on, change what you meditate on, change what's allowed into your life. You can control what you think about. You get to say no to negative thoughts. Does that mean you ignore and you pretend like nothing bad ever happens? No, but there's always beauty where there is ugliness and you don't have to focus on the ugliness. You get to focus. Is our nation perfect? Are we in good shape? There's a lot of things you can complain about. Do I like gas prices at $5? No, but do I as an American living as I live, get to really whine? 
If you want to go on a field trip with me, I'll take you to Uganda, Africa, or Calcutta, India, or even to places we think is paradise like the Bahamas. And I can show you poverty that you've never seen on a scale that will make you feel embarrassed about ever coming back and complaining about your life here. Poverty here is wealth almost everywhere else. And so there are beautiful things that you should be focused on. There are good things right around the shadow of the bad thing that you could be looking at. And you get to choose that. I can't do it for you. And you can't do it for me. We can challenge each other. We can encourage each other. When somebody's spilling out negativity, you can certainly say, here's how I try to think about things like that. Here's the discipline I try to use to train my mind not to focus on the negative. You want to find a life of peace and rest? Do you want to be at rest when you're thinking about your finances? Do you want to be at rest when you're thinking about the future of your kids or the future of your marriage? That comes from peace. And peace comes from knowing the truth of God in your life, focusing on that, and slaughtering everything else that stands up against that truth. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Thank you for hanging out just a couple minutes longer. Your mind is at work. It probably has 15 things that just slid in to try and distract you from this moment. I want to encourage you, tell those things to shut up, threaten their lives, tell them you're in the slaughtering mood, you've got your pellet gun loaded, and only things that affirm the truth of God in your life are allowed to be in your mind. And now I want you to ask yourself this question before God. How much of what I think, how much of what I believe, how much of what I feel is your truth, Lord? How much of that comes from you? Am I spending time asking you for truth? Am I spending time in your truth, in your word? Am I filling my mind with the kind of input, the kind of relationships that feed the truth of God in my life? And God, if I'm unable to answer all those in a way that make me feel good about my thought life, then I want to change that starting today. I can't go back in time and reclaim lost ground, but I can gain new ground, better ground, accelerated ground. Israel was in captivity for 400 years when they were delivered and they were fearful to go possess the land that God had promised them. And so they lingered another 40 years in the wilderness. I'm encouraging you, I'm imploring you, don't linger any longer in the captivity of negative thinking in your life, of untrue thinking in your life, of repetitious thinking in your life. Introduce the truth of God into your thoughts. Know God's plan and will, what's good for you. Put it into practice and then you'll see God working all things for you. If you want to make that mental, emotional, and spiritual commitment right now, just shoot your hand up and say, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm starting today. I'm changing the way I think. I'm not going to let thoughts dominate me anymore. A lot more of you should be raising your hand. Truthfully, I, I, I mean, there, there is no way in the world... That the, that the 12 people who have their hands up are the only ones struggling with this. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, 
This is a moment that could be transformational. Father, I pray for every single person. I pray for every distracted mind and every distracted heart. Pray for every person who believes God that their mind and their heart is already positioned in truth. We know both scientifically and spiritually from your word, that's simply not true. That we have to subdue and submit our minds to you and that that takes place day after day after day. That battle has to be won morning after morning, afternoon after noon, and God, evening after evening. And so I'm praying for the strength and the awareness for us to get into that battle. You've already equipped us to win it. We don't need to ask for help winning it, God. We just need the awareness to know which thoughts are our enemies and which thoughts align themselves with your truth. Let us fall in love with your word like we never have before and in prayer like we never have before, in groups, in relationships, in anything that feeds the truth of God in our life. And we pray for it all in Jesus' name, amen.